I, I spent most of June posting in my Discord being like stressed about having no work. Yep. And then a couple of days ago, I realized that on the 1st of June, not only did I get a bit older, but they re-released or they've released the Burning Crusade, the new the new World of Warcraft update. Okay. So then I put the pieces together and I was like, oh, my work disappeared at exactly the same time as the new World of Warcraft stuff came out. I wonder <laughs> why my work is gone. And it just feels trash. So cl- were clients just playing that instead? Yes, exactly. Ah. Full-time gameplay, zero time making me work to do. So it kind of felt bad and it feels bad. But then yesterday I had to work all day. So I'm not going to say it balanced out, but I got the worst of both worlds so far this <laughs> okay. month. Yeah, I, to be fair, I hate when that happens and that there, there is. I actually was in a similar situation thinking, okay, I still have this giant tax bill to pay off, which I would very much like to pay off in one go. Oh, oh yeah. Oh no. And it was almost at the stage of like having to go back to old clients to say, hey, remember me? Do, do you need a voiceover? Uh-huh. Do, you, do you want something new and shiny? But then, thankfully, an old client did came, came back to me before I press send oh. to say, oh, actually, here's a giant chunk of work. It will take you most of the month, but actually, it will allow me to pay off this tax bill nice. in a one which is both disgusting, but also like a good thing. It's a stress reliever. Get rid of all the taxes. Pay it off. And by get rid of them, I mean pay your fair share, rich <laughs> course the other thing well we'll get, we'll get on to the uh the tax dodging scum of the earth in just a second which i am not a part of i must say i am actually no, paying it no i don't although i don't dodge us a penny although i tell you when i did my my self-employed taxes for the first time of course i was very naive and didn't know anything about it and uh, put my expenses down as maybe like a hundred quid oh whereas now because I actually learned things and read things, you realize how much you can actually claim. Yeah, you can get expenses on a lot of stuff. So I'm now like seeing how Jeff Jeff and Elon and Warren managed to get away with not being anything because I looked at the uh, <laughs> yeah. my invoices and my expenses for this tax year so far, which I know is only uh, two and a bit months old. But if I were to put in my, my returns tomorrow, I would owe HMRC... 40 quid. Wow, you're doing all right. And that is simply by actually knowing how to do expense things, which they don't teach you. Yeah. You just have to learn it. Thanks, Google. Yeah, if you're... If you're self-employed, it's a bit of a you're in a bit Thanks, of a, a tricky situation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, internet. Um, because... And it's, it's just it's a part of the whole game again. One is As soon as you can afford an accountant, everything becomes cheaper again. Right. Once you can afford an accountant... HMRC makes less money off you than they did before you could afford an accountant. <laughs> it's really maddening. But that's, yeah, we all go through that stage. Uh, if I'm doing my own, I don't bother with it. Um, yeah. But yeah, if I've, if I've got en- enough to justify an accountant, I end up paying less tax overall by a long way. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. And it's just, that's the way the system's designed for. The tax system in most countries is supposed to be this progressive thing, but it genuinely just... You, you start seeing how easy it is to game it once you start hitting even above average wages. So, so for example, I was in uh, Dundee this past week and I stayed overnight in a hotel. I realized that actually I can claim that. I can claim that hotel stay because it was it was to do with work. So therefore... Exactly, yeah, didn't, 100%. Didn't have to pay for it. What? Yeah, and you get like a significant percentage of your own home. If you've got home yeah. office, you get a significant percentage of every electronic thing you buy. Council tax? All, yeah, all everything. It's 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 pretty Wi Fi. And it's it's generous of them, it's valid. 
but they need to make it a bit more approachable for people who are at the lower end of earnings on the self-employment scale. The, the thing is, I think that over the, and this is what I'm telling myself with my chunky two and a half grand tax bill, is that the, the years before that, I probably did earn over the threshold where I should have filled out my self-employed taxes. <laughs> but, you know, I was working full-time at STV. It was full-time at Clyde. So it was just here and there. But yeah. it was probably uh-huh. enough that I should have. Mm-hmm. So therefore, when I pay my two and a half grand, I'm like, well, you know, that's that's over the years. I'm making up for exactly. it. Exactly. I've, uh, I've got some karma to recover, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm I'm just paying it back because I, I know how to do the expenses now. So up yours, HMRC, your majesty. <laughs> Get out of here. Queen, <laughs> exactly. I'm keeping all my money. You can, you don't get any of it, man. If I could take all my money back from the queen, I would do it in a heartbeat. Oh, absolutely. She's got enough. She does. She's got plenty. If she could share some of it, that would be great. That would be great. I, I would love her. She, she'd be, she'd do wonders if she would just like you know help poor people. Oh man. Okay. Well, James, how are you generally? Work, work aside. Generally, work aside, I'm pretty good. I've been very much enjoying. Um, my streams of late, this uh, pandemic has been revolutionary for my for my brain because I have found a whole lot of spaces that are actually healthy for it, rather than just hey. a source of increased anxiety all the time. So hey, we're going we're going in the right direction. It's a it's a funny one in that it feels almost like a bad thing to say there there have been some silver linings from a global pandemic which has killed millions. Absolutely. I feel very scummy every time because there's loads, there's everybody's struggles are super valid with the pandemic. And then all of the tragedy is overwhelming. But for me, uh, I, I've, I've had mostly positives and then I feel like an actual scumbag for saying it. But that's just the way that coin flips go. Yeah. And next time we're flipping coins, I might end up getting the getting the bad side of the coin. But for now, I've just learned a whole lot about the way I work as a human being and how to go forward in life with that. Yeah, I mean, I know we've we've briefly touched on this before, but the whole reason that me and Graham didn't or haven't been dating for six years is because in 2015, I was like, nope, I can't do it. I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not brave enough to do this. Mm-hmm. And then it took, uh-huh. it took a global pandemic and being apart for X number of months, yes. which I know is silly saying to someone who has a transatlantic relationship, oh, but no. No, no, no. that being said, it was the tipping point that actually just after 29 years or 28 years last year allowed me to finally just be me. Yes. And that has been the most enormous weight off my shoulders to not just have to, I don't know, Colin, who are you texting all the time? Nothing. I'm just reading I'm The a, Guardian. Yeah, it's the BBC. <laughs> it's, I'm just looking at pictures of wrestlers. That's all. <laughs> so, so in that respect, it has been good. I mean, all the other things have been absolutely awful. Indeed. No, there's been... You know, January and February, work-wise and life-wise, were pretty rough. But, mm-hmm. there, as I say, there, there's got to be silver linings somewhere. Yeah, I hope that for everybody, there's been at least a few of those yeah, steps. Yeah. A lot of people who have had a lot of work stress may have also realized that they do enjoy spending significantly more time at home than they used to be able to and all that stuff. So, um, it, it, and it's, it's a shame... In in a far greater sense than it is a win for anybody. Everything sucks, but there are these tiny little wins here and there for all of us, I hope. Indeed. Okay, well, that brings us into the show proper. Welcome to Seesaw Parade. Still here, still going. Episode 253. Yes. I am Pandemic Colin, and that is still oh. James. Yes, yeah, I do not move a lot. <laughs> Indeed. 
Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for getting in touch as well, which you can do on Twitter at Seesaw Parade, and you can email seesawparade at gmail.com. What I got a lot of this week, James, was people getting in touch to say, hey, I've been meaning to do a review, and I will, but I haven't done it yet. Oh, well, that's nice. Which, which is a good thing, you know? You're thinking about it. Just here's your nudge, dear listener. If you're thinking of reviewing a film you've seen, TV show you've finished... This is your nudge, a violent shove for you to record it or write oh, it. A violent shove? That upgraded real fast. <laughs> to send in. Because I, I get it. It can get very tiring listening to the same people talking in your ear every single week. So different voices. <laughs> I hope that's not what is inspiring people to want to do review. Like, oh, I just hate them. I hate them. I'd rather hear my own voice than theirs anymore. Well, I would rather hear theirs. You can just stop listening. <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's true. I hear enough of my own voice. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay, well, thank you, Indy. Let's uh, let's crack on another busy week. But we've actually got lots of light and fluffy entertainment stuff for once, which is great. Can't believe it. The, the earth is healing. <laughs> kind of. Okay. Uh, b- before we... In fact, no, let's let's talk about the, the football first before we talk about COVID. Okay. Euro 2020, underway, James. Scotland back in a football tournament for the first time in 23 years. Yeah. How far... Are we going? We're gonna win it all. It's gonna be it's gonna be a, a story worthy of being recorded in film. Maybe a, later on, an anime prequel set two hundred and fifty years in the in the past. Do you know when what football began? Do you know what I think will happen? Is that Scotland will finish third in their group of four? Probably, probably, yeah. Which yeah. in any other competition in the last well, hundred years would have been enough to send them home. But because UEFA like money and they like yes. showing lots of games of football, indeed, they d- they redesigned the tournament to have more teams but like an awkward number of teams mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. actually the four out of the six third places with the most points actually still goes through. Yeah. So it's like, hey... I have a doggy chance. Actually, I have another chance to, to go through. Only the real losers don't get through. And that's right. why we're going to be the fifth team in third place. Right, exactly. So my prediction is Scotland gets third in the group, but actually fails to be in the top four of the six third places with the amount of points they get. And we go home at the first hurdle anyway. Yes, that sounds about right. However, However. I do like the hype. I do like yeah, this idea nice. that the, the current team is renewed and is actually talented and are not failing to deliver on every single stage and that other teams kind of are. The England team kind of looks really boring and bland and not very inspiring. Some other teams in in, in many a group underperforming. So I, I do like the hype and I hope that the hype doesn't just get completely crushed at the first hurdle. Yeah, I, I realise I am being very cl- classic defeatist Scots, but we've been here done that before. Yes. You know, I'm yet to see a Scotland team... In fact, I barely have memories of 98 where we did go home at the group stage no. having not won a single game. So yeah. if we get yeah. to, if we win on Monday when we play the Czech Republic, which is probably our best chance of winning a game in the, the entire group because we're playing at Hamden, <laughs> then yeah. amazing. Yeah. That will be the first time we, have, we, uh, we collectively as a nation aged between 29 and younger have seen Scotland win a game on TV and remember it. Unreal. So it's mad. Yeah, mon mon the Scots. That's what I say. Mon, and they're they're gonna be playing in front of several fans, <laughs> with other several fans <laughs> in a different place. It's gonna be inspiring for them. Okay. Well, on that note, let's uh, talk about it. <laughs> 
let's talk about COVID and football. I did appreciate last week how you complimented the different ways I'm introducing the stories to do with the pandemic every week. So I thought this week, mm-hmm. combine <laughs> it with sport, you know? Yeah, perfect. And flawless. It's the first, first time for everything. So this is the news that uh, Scotland's national... It was a, it was a, it was a hole in one. <laughs> to the back of the net. Scotland's national clinical director has said there must be a reverse gear if a giant Euro 2020 fan zone in Glasgow leads to a surge in cases. So this is, if you're outside of the central belt bubble, the news that at Glasgow Green, this giant green space in the city centre, 3,000 people a day will be allowed in Mm -hmm. to have beer and food and sit at tables and watch the football on a giant screen. Yep. Bear in mind... Glasgow is only just into level two because it has the highest amount of cases per 100,000 for forever. And this is still going ahead. So, James, there are lots of people who are very unhappy about this, uh, including not just, well, beyond just just politicians, but even the the medical aspect saying 3,000 different people every single day for a month. That seems like a bad idea, but it's still happening. Yep. It just why it just it does just seem like a bad idea. It's still happening because it will make a decent chunk of money. Maybe it will look good. Yeah, um, it will look good on the foreign newspapers. Maybe I don't. I don't really know. It's probably just for the money. It really doesn't seem like the best idea. Most gatherings don't seem like the best idea. Considering not only are we just barely scraping down from levels of lockdown. Cases are rising in Scotland and across the UK. We've got them new, we, those, those new variants that are spreading yet again. And right. It's not looking good. Okay, so, so this is where I, I start to think that maybe I'm missing something. Because on Thursday, new health secretary, Hamza Youssef, as well as the city council, as well as clinical advisors and other uh-huh. partners met yeah. to discuss the management of the site and that meeting ended without any changes at all. Right. So clearly they've said, it's fine, let's just do it anyway. I'm guessing there are just some details about the way it is going to be organised day to day and handled day to day that make them feel like nobody's going to be at risk or very little risk. They've got the right amount of spacing. They've got the right amount of crowd control plans in place. I don't really see how that's possible, but it, but yeah, they're not they're not changing their plans. I mean, the other thing is, I I get it if you're watching Ukraine versus North Macedonia. I'm sure everyone can socially distance just fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But for the three Scotland games where this fan zone will be absolutely rammed, everyone's just going to be, you know, group hugging and and gain at Laldi. Indeed. As particularly if Scotland start winning, doing the most unexpected thing. And as you say, cases are still going up. Now, I appreciate that there has to be a point, and we'll talk about this, where people or councils or Scotland as a, as a country say... We're going to stop counting cases because actually the link to the amount of people ending up in hospital, which is at the moment significantly lower, it's maybe like 50% lower than it was pre-vaccination levels, but it's not enough yet. It's not enough that if cases continue going up at this rate, which uh, across the UK, it's uh, 
pushing seven, sorry, it surpassed 7,000 a day Oof. on Thursday and Friday, which is uh, levels last seen in February. Ooh. If things keep going as they are, we'll be at 15,000 cases within two weeks. And even, even with fewer people in hospital, that's still 2,000 admissions a day. Which is a lot, you know. It's even if it's a small percentage of a small number. Yeah, it's still a lot of people. But even beyond that, even if the hospital hospitalization rate was really low, that just means that people are getting <laughs> the virus isn't isn't quite bad enough to hospitalize them. That does, doesn't mean that it's fine. It doesn't mean we should be spreading it around and being all happy about it. I, um, as we've discussed many times, there are so many side effects to COVID, even in healthy people who aren't getting hospitalized. That that. I, I actually detest this push towards going like, well, once the hospitalization rate is low, it's fine. I'm like, well, no, that's just sacrificing the medium to long-term health of a bunch of people who who maybe wouldn't have been hospitalized, right? Who who are lucky not to have been. Well, some of the some of the arguments uh, against going back in or reversing any of the uh, lockdown easing so far. So, sorry, attempting to find the driving analogy there and couldn't. Yes. Any of the uh, the people who are arguing for this are saying that other things are now being sacrificed. So, for example, the amount of people who have now died of cancers, which were not caught because of the amount of people in hospital. Well, absolutely. Because of routine test, uh, testing and checks, which stopped happening and haven't happened for you know the best part of a year and a half now. Those numbers are really starting to rise. And most health experts would agree that the longer-term damage from these sorts of illnesses will only be seen a few years down the line. So there's got to be a balance found. There has to be a balance found, but the the only thing that's going to get us to a point where everything is accessible again is if we stop having waves of the virus. Um, and I, I do appreciate that the further on we get, the less hospitalization there is because most of the vulnerable people, most of the vulnerable people are are vaccinated and everybody else is less at risk. Right. Um, but the more of the more of that less at risk group keeps getting the virus, the more of them are going to be in hospital, or the more of them are going to be taking up um, time by having to get tested and stuff like that. Um, the quickest route back was was months and months ago, and we've got to stop kind of just. Putting, or putting ourselves one step back every time that we are, have the option of, of easing up. But you, you're right, there is the balance. And it is um, surprising for sure how little progress we've made back to having full uh, NHS capability, considering the numbers aren't too incredibly high these days. It's not a mind-blowing number at this point compared to what we have been through, but yet yeah. it still seems like so many services are, are as inaccessible as they have been, which is a bit strange to me. So so the route out of this, as we're actually seeing in most parts of the states right now, is to vaccinate the overwhelming majority of the population. At the moment, the UK is around about 55% of people, of adults have had a first jab, and uh, it's, or, it's like 60, sorry, seventy yeah. percent of people have had a first jab, and then fifty-ish have had a second jab. So we're still not at the yeah. majority yet. But what we're seeing in the states, particularly the likes of Michigan, where 
the overwhelming majority of the state have now been vaccinated and daily cases have dropped 95% in the space of three months and things are beginning to open up. And particularly on the social media sites I have, the amount of American bands who are announcing tours for August and September because oh, yeah. actually states are looking at, oh, okay, cases aren't actually as bad as we thought there would be and it's because people are vaccinated. So... This then leads on to the this other story in the UK, which is the June 21st date in England, which is drawing ever closer. <laughs> Indeed. James, it's a week on Monday. It's very close. The news this week is that ministers are apparently considering delaying it <gasps> for between two weeks and a month. And this is because, as you say, the Delta variant, previously known or, or rather first identified in India, is dominating the UK. It's much more transmissible and uh, up, you know, 40% more transmissible and it's somewhat more resistant to vaccines, particularly after just one dose. So mm-hmm. with the uh, v- transmission rates high, with this uh, variant which is still spreading across the UK and cases going up, scientists are saying, hold the phone, let's just wait a couple of weeks and even a couple of weeks allows them to vaccinate more people. Indeed. So, James, are they going to delay this June 21st? (laughs) No rules. Of course they're going to delay it. (laughs) There's no question. Now, they're going to have some token kind of an easing. They're going to figure out what they can ease. Right, okay. And they're going to plaster the headlines with like, hey, we're allowing an extra family into your homes or something like that. Um... Or, hey, you're, you're allowed to stay in pubs for two and a half hours. Whoa. And they're also calling all of those token easings irreversible. And I bet that some of them get reversed as well. There is no way that if 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 we that if this government enacts any amount of uh, easing that they won't make a mistake. They're going to make a mistake. <laughs> so something will get reversed. Um, and there's there's also definitely not going to be the, the lockdown easing that was promised. So this is the problem. As we've been saying for literally months at this point, Indeed. when you start giving people dates, then that is what we're all looking towards. And particularly in England, everything is geared towards June 21st. So when, and as I agree, I, I feel the government are without a leg to stand on. Cases are rising quickly across the whole of the UK. And to suddenly go to no social distancing and no masks is a recipe for total disaster. Even if, as we've talked about, the people who are being infected now are younger. They're still ending up in hospital and some people are still dying. I mean, yeah, and we say younger, but like there are still increases in cases in all age groups. Even one or two extras in the higher age groups. But like we're talking about it being back up to like like if if 20 to 29s are getting 20 cases per day uh, 40 to 49s are getting 10 it's not that much less overall they've also been looking in, in Scotland particularly Nicola Sturgeon mentioned uh, vaccinating 12 to 15 year olds if they get the go ahead mm-hmm. because the I believe the highest proportion of cases now are coming from schools and, and particularly teenagers who are getting uh, who are getting covid I thought it was uh, yeah I thought it was millennials, but hey, I don't know everything. Well, well, it's it's certainly a high proportion, and that's why she she talked about it. Indeed, no, the the numbers are, are obviously going to be the highest in the younger groups eventually, as everybody else gets vaccinated. That, and hopefully, there are vaccines that will be approved for for the youth who also deserve to be safe. 
Um, but really, we cannot be hoping. We cannot possibly be looking at at reopening, like to even a semblance of de- of the degree of no restrictions and no masks. And please, everybody, even after there is no mask mandate, and even after uh, the virus is is as gone as it can be, please keep wearing that mask. It's great not getting the common cold as often, and it's great not spreading the flu as easily. And masks look good. You can get some good-looking masks out there. <laughs> Better looking in your face. And you can rep your favourite metalcore band on the mask, if you so wish. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I agree. And, and that's the thing. And you, you don't need a fake smile at the cashier. Ugh, it was, great. I, I think it was uh, Dr. Fauci, everyone's favourite disease immunologist uh, oh, in the States. Dear, lad. Who said Who said basically the same thing, which was, please keep wearing masks. And also, he, he suspected that handshakes are gone. Handshakes are a thing of the past. I would love that. I had someone on Wednesday who, as a just as as I was leaving this uh, this place of of business, who I said, "Oh, thank you so much," and he, and he stuck out his hand to say, "Oh, thank you so much." And I, you know, it was just instinctive. I was like, "Oh, okay, this feels weird. This feels really weird." But I'm going to shake your hand anyway. And then as soon as I did it, I felt, mm. uh, oh, "Oh, yeah, okay. I guess we would have done that." <laughs> but. Is that something which which changes? Because I'll be honest, fist bumping and elbow bumping is just not going to do it for me. I would take a fist bump over a handshake any day of the week. Handshakes <laughs> are just this awkward social interaction of like, some people treat it as a dominance thing, and then some treat okay. people just clearly hate it so much that you can actually sense their hate through the handshake. They're just not wanting it at all. And both ends of that are very common, and I just hate handshakes. <laughs> I hate most interactions that are semi-confusing it in their in their rule set and handshakes are one of the most confusing things in their rule set there's a on the masks front i believe most sensible people would continue to wear them on occasion for example i particularly at christmas will only shop in a giant supermarket with a mask on because my goodness indeed last christmas it was so busy you realized Man, why wasn't I wearing a mask beforehand? This is terrible. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many people in here touching everything. But no, I think it's very ambitious to assume that mask masks will be by and large used or that handshakes will be gone purely because uh, our, well, at least not in Western, in quotes, Western countries, because we've had this idea of tradition right so ground into us over the years and all of these things that are completely fake, so ground into us that... That it, it just is a lot harder to to change people's minds. Clearly, as evidenced by the fact that even in the middle of a pandemic, people are more willing to to die than to adopt basics like hygiene practices. We also saw this week, James, Portugal was moved from the green list to the amber list with maybe forty <laughs> hours notice. The amber list, which is the go there only if you are wealthy list, essentially, yeah. And then you have to quarantine your way back. And then we had uh, news clips of people who had hastily booked new flights Uh to come back early so they didn't have to quarantine and then being very upset that uh, they had to book even more flights and come back from their nice holiday in Portugal. I don't understand why... It's the same again. I don't understand why people don't like masks. I don't understand why people want handshakes back. I don't understand why people are so keen to go places in a pandemic. I just don't... I don't have that part of my brain plugged in. And I'm sure there are plenty (laughs) reasonable people who, who do just desire the holiday so much that they're willing to throw it all at a country that's maybe 
on a safe list, but we trust the government to have a safe list. You trust Boris to keep the list of countries consistent. The only reason Portugal was still on it was for business reasons. It was clearly not a, a safe country to go to. Um, and again, it's just all the rules are for or to, to hamper the poor from doing it all. The rich can still go to any country they please. Okay, James, let's uh, let's move on and talk about the G7. Ah. This uh, political thing, which is mainly for the pictures, not so much for the actual politics. Yeah. We've seen a lot of uh, Boris... Relationship building. ...and Biden on a beach... Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, pl- plosives there for my microphone to handle. It did well, and uh, lots of lots of photographers taking pictures, and uh, the Daily Mail sensationalizing Boris's child, who apparently was making the ladies laugh at a young age. Oh, what a charmer! Oh, what a charmer! <laughs> it's so creepy when people do that. It is just so creepy. Indeed. The more I, the more I, the older I am, I, the more I understand that how creepy people are around the way they talk about children sometimes. So on the the actual things that have been discussed, Boris uh, came beaming out of his meeting with Biden yesterday on Friday. <laughs> To say <laughs> oh, yeah. that actually he was going to, they were redefining yeah. the UK and the US's relationship. So, yes. get this, they, they are, they're moving from the special relationship. <laughs> which not I, just special anymore. <laughs> I, I believe was coined by Bush. It was maybe Bush and Blair. I think so. The special relationship. Yeah, the special relationship. As in like, especially interested in causing war. <laughs> That's what it was short for. Uh, especially interested in invading countries that we can take all their stuff and leave. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's now been rebranded by Boris to the indestructible relationship, yes. which I thought was a nice uh, kind of synonymous with the the war you talked about. They're indestructible. So good luck. <laughs> it's honestly embarrassing. <laughs> And it is so superficial, and it is clearly just there for all of the patriots to grab onto something new. And that goes for both countries, when, like, the relationship is super destructible, as evidenced by recent times, where everything was bad for a while. <laughs> right? We had to rebuild after that. That doesn't mean it was indestructible, and we're going to have to rebuild plenty times in the future. No, and, and and they're calling it indestructible just as, I believe, a distraction from the fact that the Northern Ireland Protocol and the general Ireland situation is a huge thorn okay. in the relations between the UK and the US right now. They're just trying to like hide that behind this new label. Well, we'll talk about that in, in just a second because you're right, the Northern Ireland issue is, is one that's sticking around and may become a sticking point. I, I think, first of all, the, the special relationship being renamed... <laughs> Is I mean, first of all, not that it sounds like something your gran would describe your you know, your even, teenage girlfriend as. It's not even grands. It feels like what toddlers do, like <laughs> giving each other cool labels to try and justify their existence because they just haven't had the the social understanding that friendship isn't defined by by words. Do you know? Do you know what it is? It's as soon as I saw, oh, we've got an indestructible relationship. It just reminded me of the kind of thing you would have said in high school yeah. to your 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 fling at that point after dating for three weeks yeah. and you've like liked each other's MySpace songs and you say, Do you know what, baby? We're indestructible. And then you break up two months later. Exactly. It is that's even better. And it's honestly a little bit not even a little bit cringy. It's a lot cringy when 
they're doing this as this as though it's a huge, massive leap for the nations. Okay, so the the G seven are talking about lots of things. They've talked about the pandemic and uh, sharing their vaccines with the poorer countries because that's just so nice of them. They've also talked uh, yeah, about so lovely of them. <laughs> so they so generously bought them all and keep the patents. It's so it's so kind of them to share share the dregs with the rest. Yeah, they're they're also going to uh, handle apparently the economic devastation oh, left yeah. in the wake of COVID. But as you say, Northern Ireland has been on the agenda. Uh, the the prime minister said that his priority is to uphold the territorial integrity of the UK, whereas uh-huh. the EU are, are in dispute with the UK about their post-Brexit checks on goods moving from Britain to Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, Biden and the states are also firmly in Northern Ireland's corner. So, James, this, hope so. this entire thing is a bit of a mess. Well, how do you see it playing out? Is there any solution here? Because to me, having heard what the EU were saying midweek, it was very much, our patience is running thin. There's only so much we can take. The UK are being ridiculous. And then the UK said equally nasty things in, re- in response. Yeah, yeah. But we all know who actually has the legitimate power behind them, regardless of where the US stands on it. Uh, there's only one win here. And it feels impossible. And it's, you know, having a whole new system, which is what they've promised us this whole time, is that we're going to have this new system that's founded in technology and it will be a flexible border that doesn't require time and doesn't require anything to be difficult. And it's going to be basically like we're in the EU, but only specifically on that border. And it does require that, but that's fictional. So so just to be clear, under the current terms, post-Brexit, Northern Ireland still has a lot of the EU rules yeah. because it's a, it's, it's a separate part of, uh, it's, a, it's just a different island. Yeah. And the UK's decision to unilaterally extend the grace period where checks would be waived. Yes. Be like, oh, it's fine. You can just send all your stuff in. Has just made things worse between the UK and the rest of the EU, and uh, there's there's no legal action going on. And, and President Macron has talked about you know pressing the reset button on their relationship. And I know Boris was having uh, a chat with Angela Merkel today as well. So th- there seems to be a, a massive issue and very little common ground. There's not gonna yeah. There's not a really a solution here because and especially when it requires Boris and his group of incompetent co-workers to come up with this solution and to and to sell the idea to the eu and everybody else it, it was an, it was it's always been an, an, a, a question without a legitimate answer that will keep everybody happy so what boris and his pals are trying to do is find the answer that keeps the people who vote for them the happiest so whatever will get them the most uh, of the vote again in the UK is what they're going to aim for, which is probably not going to align with the EU. It's probably not going to align with Northern Ireland's interests. It's going to align with the interests of mostly retired people of different degrees of wealth. Before we move on, did you see that uh, Boris Johnson is is facing yet another legal challenge, this time over his 
personal decision to overrule a House of Lords move to block one of his nominations from becoming a peer. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. So Johnson had uh, had nominated uh, billionaire party donor Peter Cruddus for a seat in the House. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact it was objected to by the House of Lords, mm-hmm. Johnson overruled them. Mm-hmm. And then... The donor gave the Tories, Mr. Crudis gave the Tories half a million pounds. Yeah, but that, those things aren't connected. How about that? That's not connected. It's not scummy at all. So, so just to be clear, this uh, this financier, Mr. Crudis, has given the party more than three million pounds in the last decade and has denied there was any link between his donation no. and receiving a life peerage. Nothing to do with it. N- no, 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 no. And and the donations are of his, the kindness of his heart. They're not. They're not like an an. an an investment that it was going to get massive amounts of profit over the years. It's not like when gambling advertisers or gambling websites pay streamers to use their gambling infrastructures on streams. It's all just charity. Yeah, exactly. It's not scummy at all. And sorry, in reality, this is horrendous and nothing will be done. Yeah. Nothing, just life goes on. No, whenever, whenever money goes from one place to another place, you got to figure out the, the motivations of the person. And if the person <laughs> is is not a charitable individual, you gotta wonder where they're gonna get their money their money back from, where the profit comes from. He can make enough money back just from the wages he gets by not even attending Lord's stuff over the course of a few years, I guess. And who knows how many lobbyists will, will chuck money at him to 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 try and get their say in this or that thing. It's always an investment when it comes to people paying big money into Tory pockets. It's not charity. It isn't helping their their friends out with something. They're, they're wanting a return. And the, he, he's got his return this time. And the legal challenge, I hope, is successful because similar challenges have been um, successful recently. And the Good Law Project have had a few success stories over the past few months. They have. They're getting, held. They're getting a lot of headlines recently, which only means that Boris will try to dismantle how much the court system can interfere with or can actually uphold the 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 integrity of government oh well that was that was a beautiful segue there because let's talk about pretty patel and the fact that an ongoing court case mm. may well be derailed because apparently oh. things got deleted i'll explain some more now so this is the uh, the story i believe it that police records of the Home Secretary's contact with senior officers over an Extinction Rebellion protest Ow. have been lost because of an I- because of a, I'm using my air quotes here an IT glitch mm-hmm, an IT glitch yes now those do happen they do seem to happen very often yeah to do they, with government and with sensitive cases court cases whenever there's like court cases in the government and whenever there's uh, investigations into government actions it just seems like it glitches just happen and people's phones get <laughs> locked or lost or broken yeah and all sorts of things it's very strange and a hard drive just gets smashed into a million pieces i mean these these things happen oh, it, it can't, it's it, 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 it just happens and it's not worth looking into there's not a thing to be worried like, about like I, I hate it when I wake up one morning and suddenly every sent email I've ever sent has just has just vanished <laughs> how many you know? times 
many times? It's, uh, it's, 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 it's too much. Okay, so this is the story that defence lawyers representing the uh, Extinction Rebellion protesters charged over uh, the blockade of a Rupert Murdoch-owned printing work slash year yeah. say that they can't have a fair trial because the extent of alleged political interference is unknown. Mm-hmm. The court heard... The Pretty Patel was uh, was first alerted to the protest uh, in Broxburn in England uh, by contacts in the media. Mm. I was told that she then called the Hertfordshire Police Chief Constable several times, <laughs> sent a text message to the uh, Operations Gold Commander, and uh, th- these things went on. Conversations were had, and apparently, in a statement, the uh, the Chief Constable said, "My phone has updated itself since that time, and has removed <laughs> uh-huh. any messages and all records." From this period. Yeah, I hate when my phone updates itself and I lose all my messages. It's so annoying because that happens That happens all the time. And there's no such thing as backups. And there's no such thing as like keeping records in the police. The police don't keep records of communications. That's ridiculous. They all keep it on just their personal phones that get updated and wiped. Okay, so following that, the gold commander, uh, Mr. Matt Nichols, told the court that uh, these texts to my work phone have been deleted. Uh A number of work phones were erroneously reset to factory settings after an IT glitch. So thankfully... And I I hope that the IT person has lost their job. Indeed. So the defence barrister Raj Chadha said the defence would be asking how phone records belonging to two of the most senior officers in the investigation (laughs) and relating to the very issue at the heart of the case... We're all deleted. It's just such a coincidence. that It's it's staggering. Absolutely staggering. Yeah, but you know what? They're going to have all of the phones, all of the, all the work phones that got reset. They're going to be able to present them all as evidence with the reset date logged, as that does happen, and the evidence that they have been used every day since. And that reset period will be very evident in the phone's history and on all of these work phones' history, because it wasn't just those two. It must have been so many of them to, to have covered these two just coincidentally okay let's move on we talked about rich people and tax earlier which includes myself and james obviously yeah this is the story that the fbi are beginning an investigation into the leaking of confidential tax records that showed that (laughs) billionaires stateside paid almost no federal income tax can't believe it so uh, charles rettig who's from the irs told a senate committee on tuesday that the federal agency was investigating these leaked tax records. So this actually followed mm. something which was initially decried as, oh, we, we, we can't we can't believe or take these things at face value. We don't know where these uh, tax records have come from. <laughs> yeah, these, these might not be valid at all. Uh, in, Let's arrest who leaked it. <laughs> well, exactly. And then we've, uh, a, a few days later, we now have the FBI who are officially confirming that they are actually doing something about this. So the records showed that despite bringing in, in some cases, up to $11 billion for their various companies Mm. and uh, in salaries and bonuses, we had at least two years in the last decade where Jeff Bezos, who is the world's richest man, paid $0 in tax. The same is true of Warren Buffett, mm-hmm. uh, heavily invested in stocks and lots of big fi- Fortune 500 companies. Elon Musk, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, a who's who of uh, of rich white men. James, this story was completely unsurprising. No. I would be very surprised if anything comes off it. Of course nothing's going to come off it. They, they, anybody who can 
so easily pay zero tax while having so much wealth can obviously also invest some of that wealth into lobbying to keep all the tax laws as they stand. And that goes for people in the States and the UK. As I said earlier, the tax systems are designed to go light on those who have heavy purses. And even though some of them will come out and they'll say, I've paid several million in taxes. Who amongst you peasants has managed to pay that much? It's still, it's like a couple of percent of their total income. We have to pay more of a share of our income than the rich do. And that is mad. And it's just because they can afford to jump through the the loopholes and they can afford to keep their money flowing different ways to dodge taxes. And they they, they can even do it completely legally. And it just teaches us two things. They are scum for taking advantage of the whole system and having all of these taxpayers prop them up and prop their profits up because they would be nothing without all of us. And also... This system is flawed. <laughs> that's all. That's the two lessons learned. I don't want any whistleblowers or people who are leaking things arrested for this, but they will be the only people right. who have any comeuppance from this. And it's because they did a good thing. Right. So so this uh, all the stats and the figures came from ProPublica, who are a not-for-profit investigative journalism group, Yeah. who, in its findings showed that the the wealth of the 25 richest Americans had collectively gone up by over $400 billion (sighs) uh, between 2014 and 2018. And in that time, they paid just over $9.5 billion in tax over those four years, which is, as a percentage, 3.4%. It is so unbelievably low. And even if we don't think about tax, the increase in wealth amongst the wealthy across the US, UK, and all of the, again in quotes, Western countries is disgusting. You look at the trends of like average average wage and minimum wage and all these things, and you look at the trend of the wage for the wealthy, it just pales. The, the graph does not scale well enough to show right. how much they are stealing from our productivity. I'm just going to... I'll ask you one question at the end of this. So a couple more uh, stats. George Soros, who was uh, became known as the man who broke the Bank of England because of uh, short selling in 1992, uh, he earned a billion dollars that year, 30 years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, yeah. of course, would have been worth even more back then. Mm-hmm. He went three years in a row without paying any tax and a spokesman said it's because he made some bad investments mm-hmm. lost money and therefore did not owe any tax and responding to the story on Twitter Mr. Elon Musk of Tesla responded with a simple question mark so James combining the stories we've talked about because he's not he's not that smart that's why he asked the question mark he's not actually that smart he probably doesn't understand some of the words in the stuff that was written so genuine question and I know this has maybe taken me six years to get to this point. Seeing the fact that just in those last two stories alone, we have the super rich avoiding tax, whereas all the the little guys just you know get taxed to high heaven for, on everything. Yeah. And the fact that governments will literally just be blatantly corrupt in the public eye mm-hmm. with zero comeuppance. Yeah. Is this is this just the way it's always been, and I just haven't been aware of it, or is this like? Has this been getting worse over time? It's in a because I genuinely don't know that. In a sense, it's a continuation of the way things have always been because it is just passing the 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 scepter of power from one group to another. There's always there's always been the ruling class. There's and nowadays they just rule via mass manipulation and wealth, whereas in the past they ruled through um, monopoly of power and 
I guess, being deified and stuff like that and so on, so on, way back through history. Um, but the, the, we are in a transition from from one set of powers to another. So things are rapidly changing, even if overall it is all of us at the lower end of the, uh, the ladder that, that are suffering. Um, so the, the, the who of who is uh, holding the power is changing. It's no longer the, the, the royals and it's no longer this and that. They're, they're kind of leaking away off the, off the top of the chain. Um, but we're seeing these new companies and, and new multi-billion trillionaires and stuff like that taking the power instead and controlling the governments instead. And the governments who have always had power and are scummy and used to just, I guess, kill people who 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 are leaking things and maybe a danger to them right. now have to just like manipulate the people with false advertising on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that instead. And they will just, instead of having to silence the stories, can just have them be released and control the flow of what happens afterwards. So there is this shift, but overall, it is still just the the peasants that are bearing the, the burden of the nation while everybody else enjoys a free ride at the top. Because who suffered in the pandemic? The poor and and the, the, the middling poor. Who got richer in the pandemic? The rich, right? That is not the way this should be. Okay, one more story before we move on to lighter matters. And it's about Brewdog, the uh, fast-growing Scottish brewer and pub chain. <laughs> Speaking of scum. Oh, indeed. Yeah, so they have been dealing with their own drama this week in which an open letter signed by 60 former staff uh, explained how they had suffered mental illness as a result of working at the company, uh, yeah. saying things like th- the company was built around a cult of personality mm. around the founders of uh, Mr. James Watt and this Martin is, Dickey. This is shocking news. Uh, and also saying that the, the pair of them had exploited pub- uh, publicity, both good and bad, oh, yeah. to further their own business goals, chased growth at all costs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, spent years claiming they wanted to be the best employer but ask former staff what they think and you'll likely be laughed at. Aye. Being treated like a human being was sadly not always a given for those working at BrewDog. Indeed. So uh, James Watt, who is one of the co-founders, has, uh, has come out to say that he will listen <laughs> and learn uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. from the criticism sure. to make him a better leader. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He said that the, these claims of a culture of fear and a, a toxic attitude were difficult to hear, but they would make him... A better chief executive. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am sure this is the first time he's heard of all of this. He, he, he must be shocked. The funny thing is that Brewdog is. And look, I'll, I'll make this the, the statement at the start. I like a lot of Brewdog beers. They're very tasty. I but... like a lot of Brewdog beers, and I like a lot of Brewdog locations. It's, it's, I, it's, it's a bit upsetting that I try not to give them any of my money. But this is not the first time Brewdog have been in the headlines for the wrong reasons. Recently. Oh, I would say recently, a couple of years ago, the story was that they had been looking to hire some uh, someone in for uh, the marketing department and uh, they asked to pitch some ideas. And then lo and behold, three months later, they hadn't got the job, but they had used her ideas anyway. Yeah, the ideas just got r- stolen. And as and it was, uh, it was uh, look at how good we are kind of a 
kind of a marketing thing right. that they just stole. And, and a lot of BrewDog's ethics in terms of their advertising, in terms of their uh, responses to things, whilst in some cases they get it right, you know, they're, they're quick off the mark. For example, they released a Barnard Castle beer, you may remember, last year after Dominic Cummings. Yeah, yeah. But with other ones, they, they've just struck the wrong tone, but they've got away with it because that's their sort of, oh, yeah, but we're Scottish and we, you know, we can do what we like. And, we're just you know, a we're... silly beer company. We get it wrong sometimes. Exactly, we're Punks. But no, everything they've done has always been very much, has always had a corporate feel to it. I don't think I've ever okay seen something they've done and not gone, all right, that just feels like a really cheap version of the next Google campaign. Uh, and the thing is, and I appreciate this because they, in 2015, put out a statement to say, you know, we're punks to the core. We will never go with the establishment. We'll never <laughs> like, do this, never do that. Absolutely lies. 18 months later gave away 22% off the firm to a private equity fund in the States for something like $100 million, which is not very punk. But no, complete lies anyway. I'm on the record having... Ha, like having liked Brewdog in, a, in in the same ways we've mentioned, but I am also on, I believe on the podcast on the record calling them out yeah. for their super annoying manners of like putting how proof of how profitable they are on their on their venues <laughs> in their menus and stuff like that. Look how look how much we're better than our competing companies. Look at our share value compared to our competitors, and it just it is just scummy. I can see this um this this cult of personality thing as an outsider or as a patron of their of their um pubs it is obvious so it's no surprise to me that it's even worse on the inside so when i saw this yeah i agree i was somewhat unsurprised because i have one of my friends used to work for brewdog in the far north and the sorry the northeast in aberdeen right and knew mr mr watts and knew him as a very very unpleasant person because of his pers- his pursuit of of business at all costs which is essentially funnily enough what this letter says mm-hmm. and, and that to me is the is the problem that you know it's all well and good having morals and, and ethics when you're a small startup but then when you realize actually we're making something which is really tasty and people like it a lot oh look someone wants to give us a hundred million dollars yeah you know what we can we can sacrifice the punk side for just a second because yeah. you know that's a lot of money. So I I appreciate that in business from a business perspective. <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. If you if you want to grow, then you're not going to do that if you're based in Ellen, and that is that is the only <laughs> yeah. place in the world you are you are doing your beer thing. So if you wanted to do that whole you know punk startup thing, that is how you would have done it. But it's it's look it's fine if a company wants to change its ethics and become i don't know a bigger brand fine but don't just keep on holding on to the thing that you've said for seven or eight years which is palpably untrue yes but it is it's a thing that you see in a lot of startup companies not usually in this field but more in tech fields where you like right loads loads of companies appropriate some cool culture of some kind whether it be uh, a music culture or a, a, a geekery culture or this or that or the next thing and then they outgrow that very quickly and sell out. It happens over and over again. Um, and this is just the instance of it happening in Scotland to a beer company. And I'm not really sure how true the punk element of it has ever been. I would I would need proof at this point. I'm sure I'm sure when the two of them started it up, it probably was the idea like a rough idea. You know, they had no idea. Yeah, but was at it that the point. idea from their heart or was it the idea from their wallet? Well, no, but a, a, a startup of two people, you have no idea. That in a few years' time you're going to have breweries in three different continents and you know bars and in 
17 different countries. Like, that's, that's yeah. ridiculous. But what I'm saying is that maybe you know that the best idea to get that is by labeling yourselves as punk. Like, maybe <laughs> they, they saw this gap in the market. And rather than being punk and then going, let's do beer, they were like, let's do beer. What hasn't been done with beer yet? Oh, yeah, punk. <laughs> it's to an extent... Yeah, but I I don't think you would you would have said that was a like a guarantee to success. You no, still have to be good at beer. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying everything's a, everything's a complete failure because you've falsely labeled yourself from the start. But what I'm saying is that I might be more leaning towards the false label from the beginning than this like this idea that they were ever true punk and ever had intentions of being punk and all the rest. So a, a response to that as a, a to answer your question with my question. Ooh. Because it's a because it's a better question is, do you think this affects the drinking habits of people? You know, are they going to stop buying Brewdog because they don't like the fact that staff were treated I, nastily? Maybe because I stopped buying Brewdog a while ago, and I'll only go to Brewdog if somebody's already made plans there, and they're like, "Hey, we're at Brewdog," and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> all right." Um, I don't. I, w- w- as with most of my ethics, I won't insist everybody else adopts them too. But so if I can make that decision, I'm sure other people have. But overall, I doubt it's going to be a huge negative impact on them. And much like anything else they've done, they will probably be able to swing it into a, a growth thing rather than a, than a bad. Right, James, let's talk about movies and stuff. Wow. Have you finished anything this week? I finished a very significant thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, campaign 2 of Critical Role, everybody's favourite D&D stream, has come to an end. Wow. Hundreds of hours. Oh, really? I've invested in every single one of them. Yeah, yeah, it's like th- more than three hours a week for for weeks and weeks and weeks, for years. I think it was two years overall that they were doing campaign 2 with like some breaks here and there. And the pandemic kind of put a, put a hitch in the plans, but hundreds of hours. Okay. Um, just to be clear, because I've I've got a couple of movies to review, so I'll get to yours in just a second. Is this? A, it's not a TV show. It's like it's a streaming. It's a streaming thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of the biggest streams on on Twitch actually. Um, at this point. Right. Well, I've got two things to review. One of which is a movie. One of which is a, actually a, a feature. If we're gonna if we're gonna be real, and I'm gonna start there. Oh. This is Bo Burnham Insight. Ah. On Netflix. Of course. Have you seen this? I have not seen this, but I have seen elements of this right usually I, sh- I i will save my big my big reveal for the end but i'm gonna start with it this is my favorite thing i've seen all year ah wow it is it is that good all right okay so this is uh bo burnham who in the late 2000s found fame on youtube yes and then spun that off into a career as a uh, essentially like a musical slash comedian a proper funny often man. combining combining the elements of, of the two. Yes. Very, very funny, very switched on. And uh, if you end up in a click hole of Bo Burnham stuff, he's very funny. Indeed. So this feature, uh, he'd done a couple of uh, specials for Netflix before. And this one is written, shot, directed, and edited by him. Hi, Everett. In one room mm-hmm. over the course of 2020 in lockdown. It makes sense. So it's... Uh, it's received numerous five-star reviews. Clips have been going viral on Twitter. Thought I would check it out. And uh, as I say, best thing I've seen all year. Because Bo Burnham is is like the really annoyingly talented person who is good yeah. and like really, really good 
at everything. He does a he does a real good job at all the things. Yeah, there's a few of those on online. He's one of them. Yeah, so so not just in this feature, like okay, okay comedy, music, musical comedy, uh, but acting, directing. He directed uh, Eighth Grade a few years ago, which was phenomenal. One of my favorite films of that year. Yeah, and I would say from his own per, his own filmography, Inside is in my eyes the best piece of work he's ever done. So. Inside is a black comedy and it's a commentary on the world slash dealing with the pandemic and your own deteriorating mental health. So when mm-hmm. this, when the, the, the feature Inside is funny, it is laugh out loud funny. And when, it's, when it goes dark, it is the kind of, I'm not sure if he's joking or if this is real yeah. kind of dark. Yeah. So uh-huh. I haven't caught that part of it yet. Oh, absolutely. There are some scenes in it which you're sitting there in silence thinking, oh... Oh, that that wasn't very funny. That that just seemed very real. Okay. So I like the sound of it. Inside will not. Yeah, it will not be everyone's cup of tea. There are content warnings, some uh, mentions of suicide and ongoing mental health trauma, depression, etc. But it's absolutely up my alley of intelligent, thoughtful, but also very slightly absurdist humor. Yeah. And also absolute admiration for Mr. Bo Burnham for putting this all together himself. It's the music, lighting, the narrative, the ending, and it's also the shortest credits you will ever see (laughs) in a feature. It is magnificent. Give it all the stars, all the fries. Loved it. So good. I watched it twice. And also, I recommended it to, uh, to ML. And she said, thanks very much. What a hideously talented man. Yes. Now I'm stuck down a, a YouTube click hole watching all his old content. Yeah, that'll happen with a few. Oh, definitely. So that is Bo Burnham Inside. It's on Netflix. I would highly, highly recommend it. As I say, will not be for everyone. It absolutely was for me. I thought it was just brilliant. Great. Okay, Jimbo, hit me. What do you? What did the? What was the thing that you saw slash finished? Oh, right. Well, it was a Critical Role uh, campaign too. Um... So the critical roles of uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. When you say D and D, Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's a people role playing, but in this instance, it is a bunch of famous voice actors okay. and very talented voice actors. Wow, um, doing a campaign led by probably one of the the most beloved um, DMs on the on the on the sphere, um, telling us grand, as I said, many hours, many story arcs, many experiences long uh, campaign of of joint storytelling between everybody because it's not just the dungeon master that tells a story everybody has their part with their characters and they all define their path with their characters and it's hard to really sell how good this is for anybody who's not already into kind of collaborative storytelling or into tabletop games and stuff like that but you get so invested into them all uh, into both them as people and their characters and it's the second season. Same thing happened as the first one. I loved every single one of them to the core. Um, sadly, they couldn't have so many guest stars and stuff like that because it was a pandemic for most of it. Um, but yeah, it came to a very well-earned end and we've now got a break. And see, I'm sure campaign three is just around the corner. Um, but this is becoming a, a like a Dungeons and Dragons empire. Genuinely, they are putting out stuff. This is they want, They've sold... An Amazon show. They're going to have an animated show on Amazon from their first campaign and everything, um, and and it's just great. And they're it's overall very wholesome and also very very heavy on the feels experience as people try to tell a genuinely um, 
real story for themselves and the characters that they are portraying. Okay. And it's just, it's always cool to see people who can act acting their own character because you never quite get that level of acting out of anything but method acting, right? Yeah, I know what you mean. But these people know their characters to the core. So you can see some intelligence even when they choose to be quiet and stuff like that. Um, I, I love it. And I couldn't, I could keep talking about Critical Role for a long time. If you've seen it or you haven't and you want to talk about it, just ask. I'm I'm probably going to be live on Twitch or something right right now as you're listening. So pop by and say, "Hey, I also liked Critical Role." And I'll go, "Yes, good, good." Okay. But if you don't like it and if it's a risk, it is hundreds of hours. So there are probably better things to to risk your time on. Okay, right. Well, I'm going to finish up with something which is the total opposite, and is also my return to cinema: Godzilla versus Kong. You actually went? I, I actually went and I actually saw it. What a way wow. to come back to the big screen with wow. 2D characters, plots that make no sense, but at least you've got a giant monkey punching a dinosaur in the face. Can't believe it. So, <laughs> right, the film. I'm going to try and give it some some sort of review. So this is uh, the, I want to say the fourth film in the franchise. It's the sequel to Godzilla King of Monsters from 2019, but also a sequel to Kong Skull Island from 2017. Yeah, uh, which I, which I believe you saw recently. Yeah, not not too long ago now. Right, which is actually which is actually good fun. Oh, it's a it's a wonderfully fun film. Right, and then this film comes along and it has the likes of uh, Alexander Skarsgård, Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things, uh, Rebecca Hall, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Julian Dennison uh, showing up with his New Zealand accent again from. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, there's so much wrong with this film, but ultimately I think that the director and the team behind it knew that and just thought all people want to see is Godzilla fighting King Kong. And in that regard, yep. they delivered. Because right. by, by Jove, there is a lot of just wanton destruction. I mean, Hong Kong basically gets leveled. Sorry, spoiler. But you couldn't tell if you couldn't tell Godzilla versus King Kong are going to knock over a few things. They certainly do, and right the plot that you pred- that you could have predicted from watching the trailer did, of course, uh, come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Because let's let's be honest. Ask yourself this, listener. I will not answer it for you. If you're the team behind Godzilla and Kong, and you're putting them both in a movie, how do you end it? Do you kill one of them off? No. Or do you have them both on the same team at the very end? What do you, you gotta think? Got to be friends. You got to be friends at the end. So you could go into it knowing that you know how it's going to go, and you can tell from the opening five or ten minutes how it's going to go. And the characters, right? Here's here is the the one scene, or rather two scenes, I will describe okay. to just give you an idea of how little they care about the actual humans in this movie. Right. So. Millie Bobby Brown, she's in it. Who's a classic rebellious teenage girl who's got very deep into conspiracy podcasts in this fo- in this movie. Yes, uh, is is not on best terms with her dad, Kyle Chandler, both of whom were in the previous Godzilla film. Right. In this movie, there is a scene in which the two of them have a falling out, and and dad says, "No, daughter, you can't be listening to those podcasts anymore. They'll fry your brain." They will. They will. Podcasts do fry your brain. Confirmed. Oh, t- oh, they do. And she's like, "Oh, you're, you do, you know nothing. I'm going home." And then the next time you see them, they are reuniting in Hong Kong 
after the city is leveled and, and like the the, game, the the film's over. Literally, this whole father daughter relationship is consisted of two scenes. One scene where they have this falling out, and then the reunion scene at the end, and that is it. I'm amazed. I love it. I love it so much. It's it's shockingly bad in terms of writing dialogue. The one thing I would say, it it is mercifully short. It's sub two hours. So part of me thinks that they did have a lot of. I'm sure they had loads of scenes together. Right. And then in the edit, they've just decided we've got to make this slim down. People after a pandemic, the last thing they want is to sit through a two hour forty five movie. And they've just left so much on the edit floor that when you sit down and watch the final thing, this this like tearful reunion of dad, dad has not been earned because they've had one scene together, and that scene lasted ninety seconds. So, wait, she had a dad, and even the way the film ends, they 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 have, as I say, the conclusion, the final battle. Everyone goes, "Yay, we did it! Oh, hooray!" And Godzilla goes away, and King Kong goes away, and within thirty seconds. We're at the credits. Like, there is no wow. prologue. There's no, uh, you know, let's see how they're all doing. Let's see what therapy they're going to. Let's see how they're dealing with it. I love it. it. Literally. I love it so much. There is one scene. There is one scene after the, 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 like, the smoke is rising. The sun is coming up again. Everyone's back together. Yeah. There is a 25-second scene after that, and then the credits roll. It is just Perfect. a stunning, and I mean this in the worst possible way, a stunning act of film, of movie making. Do not go see it. It's utter rubbish. No, utter go rubbish. see it because it gives you exactly what you want. All you want is a couple of fights between two big monsters right? and everything else is supplementary. The rest doesn't doesn't even need to exist like, cut it from the film and it will be great villains that don't make sense with names that they don't have yeah it doesn't great. matter it, turn your brain off and enjoy the film uh, the only thing i'll say is i love cgi is very good it's very very good the cgi i have watched a video talking about the cgi because i watch a lot of videos about that stuff and the CGI is super impressive. Oh yeah, absolutely! Um, it's it's fantastic. But that's that is it. If you're there for the CGI, yeah. you'll have a great time. If you're there for an actual enjoyable movie, yeah, yeah, don't save your money. Go watch something but else. That's why I love I love turning my brain off to enjoy a movie that you can't enjoy if you've got your brain on. That's 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 great. That kind of stuff is good in all mediums. I love a good book that is absolute trash. Like not a good book that's absolute trash, but a complete trash book that I just know I'm not going to really enjoy it for enjoyment's sake, but because it is just so stupid sometimes. And I can okay. and I just get to turn my brain off and I don't have to think for a while and I just engage with the material. That that kind of stuff is valid as well. And somebody put their heart and soul into some element of it, and we should enjoy those elements, the parts that are true and well done and, and ready to be enjoyed. And the rest, forget about it. Make fun of it, yeah, but mostly forget about it. Okay, so we got two pieces of movie news and three trailers I've to get through. I've got one more thing to mention. Oh, go for it. And it's not really a review, but there's a, there's a 21, 22 minute, if I remember correctly, episode one of a new something on YouTube, and I don't want to describe it as a series. One guy has been almost fully animating a, a story in CGI all on his own with his like girlfriend acting in the piece and like some wow. friends and stuff acting in the piece. He's been making this thing for years as far as I remember. He's finally released the first part of it and he's ready to move on to making episode two, I guess. I can't really, I don't want to say much about it, but if you like CGI stuff, and you like kind of short stories that are 
all done by one person, you want to see somebody's life poured into the screen, uh, go onto YouTube and just search for Salad Mug Dynamo Dream. That's certainly a title. It is. But honestly, this is an impressive work of art. Okay. Well, talking off titles, Aquaman 2 has an official title. And it is Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. I thought that was a Jurassic Park one. So I was just about to say, I believe that's Fallen Kingdom, which is slightly different. Like, if something's uh, fallen... Like, Lost World. Right. Fallen Kingdom. So, so you, like, I've, oh, the, the watch has fallen, or, oh, the watch has lost. You know, very slightly different meaning. So, you know, yeah. like, people lose kingdoms all the time, and kingdoms fall all the time as well. App- apparently there is a kingdom more lost than Atlantis, for starters. Well, I would suspect that that is actually what they're looking for. Although, uh, maybe they're in Atlantis already? I don't know. Are they? I thought that Aquaman was Atlantis. Oh, okay. Well, in that case... That's the whole civilization. In that case, maybe they found, like, the city they were twinned with, and that's what they're going to go and find. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they found, like, American Atlantis, <laughs> the twin city. Atlantis, twinned with Barra. <laughs> Wait, what would it be? Atlantis? I don't, I don't know. If Atlantis was American, American, what would it be? Let us know in the let us know in the Twitter. Okay, you finish that joke for us. I mean, I do feel like I have seen basically any sequel with this title before, whether that's yeah. Jurassic World it's or an- any like action adventure movie. So I am not not excited for that at all. Such an underwhelming title. But I'd already trashed the film. They haven't fired Amber Heard yet, so I'd already trashed the film. I'm not watching it. Indeed, she's still there. She's still there. Took advantage of a whole Me Too movement and then gained from it. And she still didn't get fired. Get her out of there. Okay. I ain't watching it. Okay, moving on. Lord of the Rings. One more piece of new movie news, which is it's getting an anime prequel film called The War of the Rohirrim. Yes. James, tell me about this. I don't really know a lot about it. All I know <laughs> is that at some point we're going to get a prequel film from the Lord of the Rings universe, which of course... We're going to get a lot of that now. We're going to get a lot more Lord of the Rings stuff because the estate has been passed on to less loving hands, let's say. Um, More profit-driven hands, maybe, some others would say. Um, Indeed. But the surprise for me was that they actually seem to be getting a good bunch of names involved in this project. They've got uh, people from the legit Lord of the Rings good trilogy working on this. They've got well-respected people from the anime industry working on this. Um, I think it's one of the names from Ghost in the Shell, which is an absolute classic. So there is legitimately promise for an, a, a really good anime from the Lord of the Rings universe, which is such an unusual thing to try and conceptualize. Um, but basically, we're going to be seeing, I guess, the up the the beginnings of the of the Rohirrim and, and Rohan and yeah, uh, is it Helm Hammerhand or something? Y- yes. So uh, who's going who the story's gonna be revolving around? Right. So so if you remember the Battle of Helm's Deep, which is in the second film, The Two Towers. Yes. This uh, feature is going to look at him, Helm Hammerhand, and uh, this King of Rohan. Yeah. Uh, or rather, rather, he was the King of Rohan, I should say, who spent apparently much of his reign locked in a prolonged and costly war but yes as you say a lot of big names involved in this and it's being fast-tracked so it's clearly they're they want to make the money they want to make it quickly yeah i hope the fast tracking is not going to be cheaping out on the pencil mileage because animation needs to be good uh, i like good animation i don't like all these static frames that kind of just pan slowly while everybody kind of mumbles out to try and match the really lazy mouth movements and okay. um, but i guess i'm 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 putting no no coins in the fast tracking basket the fact that they're speeding up production is not a good sign for me 
Um, but it is interesting, nonetheless, to try and get yet more Lord of the Rings stuff because this is not uh, holding hands with Amazon's TV production, which is set. It's no, it's not it's, two very different I, things. I, I, I think. I think millennia before the Lord of the Rings. This is a just a couple of centuries. Yeah. Um. But it's it's interesting as a project. I really hope it's good because I really like Lord of the Rings, and I I don't want to start having to not like it. And I already kind of have had to do that because of the Hobbit films. But I am just ignoring their existence. Yep. I can only ignore so many things at once, though. Okay, let's finish up with three quick-fire trailers because time is gone. Let's start with No Sudden Move, which is the new movie from Steven Soderbergh, who's one of my favourite directors. Yeah. Has done a bunch of really cool films over the years. Let's have a listen. We're sending a man that works in an office to pick something up. You are part of a babysitting team watching his family while he does it. Good morning. Everything is normal, except... What do you want? Is that something you'd say? Normal Monday? I'm gonna shoot you right now. Can I go home now? Wait at the house after. What do you mean after? Right, so James, this has an all-star cast. We've got Don Cheadle. We've Including got... Including Brendan Fraser. Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> Blendon Fraser as well. Blendon Fraser. John Hamm. I mean, a potential, potential upcoming Oscar nominee, Brendan Fraser, may I say. The rumours are the rumours have been spinning up already. Here we go, Kieran Culkin as well. Let me just say, James, I like... Yeah, Kieran Culkin, man. Right, hold on. I like the look of this trailer, but it's basically, other than Don Cheadle, every actor and actress in this has been pigeonholed into the roles they have done for years. So, for example... They're playing themselves, yes. John Hamm is always the cop. Every single movie, he's in, he's the cop. He's always like the, the law. And he's chasing down the bad guys. Also, David Harbour's in this as well. Sorry. Oh, yeah. But he David Harbour's not doing his current... Okay. Oh. Um, Okay. Typecast. He's he's doing his kind of like creepy geeky guy. That's new. Kieran Culkin, one of my favorite actors. He's excellent in Succession. He's yeah. again being himself. He's playing Culkin. Benicio del Toro being himself. Yeah, he's playing del Toro. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is this to me was the one thing that took me out of the trailer. I, honestly, I love anything that Steven Soderbergh does. <laughs> yeah, it's a star-studded cast who are getting paid to do their own normal day-to-day conversational style, I guess. <laughs> right. So, so I really liked the, I liked the cast, I liked the director, I liked the look of it, but I did feel this was just a basically Stephen called all his, his nice rich pals and said, hey, want to be in my big action movie? And they said, yeah, sure. How much? And they say, okay, great, let's do it. Yeah, but it, it does look it, it does look good, though. It really does look. It, good. it does. It does. Yeah. What did you What did you think? No, I thought I thought it looked great. I was I was um, really enjoying the trailer, trying to piece together what the story was wanting to tell us about what it's going to be. I think I kind of get it. I I do think that it's hard to hide the overall plot behind one of these films. It's kind of basic. Yep. And um, but it looks like they're executing it really well. And I I I'm not so upset that the the actors are all playing themselves. I think they're doing it pretty well. They usually do. Uh, I haven't quite on board with the John Hamm mania that everybody else is all the time. I, I like the guy. I think he does a good job of what he does. I do wish he did a, a little bit more differently here and there. But overall, the film looked, looked really good. A kind of good intensity while also being funny. And that's that's a good mix of of intense and humor. I like that. Okay, second to last trailer. Let's go to Fear Street, which is mm. a trilogy of movies being released yeah. one week after the other on Netflix yeah. this July. Very interesting. We'll talk about it in just a second. Wow. Here's a clip. That was 1978. 
5,937 days ago. Shadyside, a history of horror has earned it the nickname Killer Capital USA. It's happening to us. These massacres happen in Shadyside over and over. You were the only person who survived. How do we end this? You have to go back to where it all started. Okay, James, so this is, I want to say, the first movie is set in the 70s. No, sorry, first movie is set in the 90s. The 90s, yeah. Second movie is in the 70s. And then the 70s. third and final movie of this trilogy is in the 17th century. Yeah, 1600s. Yeah. So this is, it's interesting. I, I was un, unsure as to where it was going and thought perhaps it would be the kind of movie which jumped back in time, did some bits here, there and everywhere. But actually, yeah, they've got some Three really... stories ongoing at the same time. I think they've got really interesting potential here to tell an intricate, well-plotted, well-told story. Because instead of having to... Absolutely. ...essentially crush it into 120 minutes... You've essentially got, you know, up to six hours to tell this story. So that, that I'm on board for this. Similar to, like, early days Sherlock, where it's basically short films on the BBC, whereas this is just films on the Netflix, and they're telling three three stories. I thought they were going for a thing where they tell all the stories at the same time over the course of the films, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting to me that they're going to tell the most recent one first, and then we get to watch the prequel to that, and then we get to watch the prequel to that, and I guess they're just they're just going to be so many hints and Easter eggs in the later stories that we then get to watch the the earlier story in the next week and enjoy pe- putting the pieces together and and all of that stuff. And I think that this style of just blasting out three films over the course of a few weeks is very interesting. And I I hope it is well executed because we don't get a chance to do this with film very often. It's usually waiting a year at minimum. Okay, and one final trailer. You mentioned uh, Blendon Fleischer yeah. getting that Oscar not a rub for next year. Blendon, yeah, Blendon might be getting an Oscar, but yeah. Well, let's talk about The Eyes of Tammy Faye, because we've got a, a trailer for this. Jessica Chastain, Andrew Garfield, lots of makeup, lots of, prothe- uh, lots of prosthetics. Here we go. Yeah, her face is bleeding in a blend, a Blendon. It's all part of our mission to help people. Anyone who's hurting or they feel like they've been left out, God has a plan for us. What'd he tell you to do this time? Jesus keeps a ticking me higher and higher. Jim will preach and I'll sing. Higher and higher. God does not want us to be poor. Mother Fall of Pleasure. Now God has a voice in this fight. Who's he fighting? Liberal agenda. Homosexual agenda. Faith isn't political. You can't talk to him like that. Jerry Falwell is a powerful man, Tammy Faye. She's been through a blend, and that was what I should have okay, said. I, I got that. It's fine. Completely okay. messed up the joke. Okay, James, this trailer uh, I, is telling the true story yes. of uh, of this Tammy Faye. And actually, a quick mm-hmm. read of her Wikipedia would hint at a very interesting life. Uh, it tells the story of uh, this this couple. <laughs> interesting is a word. Who essentially set up this, uh, hey, if you if you give us your money, then God will make you rich. TV channel, yeah, yeah, and then used they, all- yeah, they learned Bible for a profit. That's it, yeah, prosperity gospel, and then yeah. took all the money, and uh, one of them ended up in jail. And I'm not going to spoil which one was. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the story, true story. What did you think of the trailer? And uh, the story is ongoing to this day. You can still look at videos it of, is. of the two of them and be creeped out by the kind of things they are doing. There's many a parody as well of what they're what they, each of them has been doing. Um, this trailer was 
I think a short version of the film that told me everything I needed to see, yep. so I never watch it, never need to watch the film. But it was also very intense. The film was very well executed. I was completely put off by every single person, <laughs> and I probably I'm going to enjoy the film when I eventually do see it because the trailer, as much as I now have seen the story that I already know in film form, just very briefly, it has made me want to actually watch it and go through the experience of all of that pain of watching these two people I'm inevitably going to hate. And I hope that there's a little bit of a, an edge to that where I understand them at least. There was one thing I must say is that you've got Vincent D'Onofrio yeah. in the uh, uh, supporting role here who is just the most menacing guy ever. I love him. He's, he's amazing. I, I do expect Jessica Chastain will get some nods for this mainly because Absolutely. the Academy slash voters of movie stuff do like it when an actor goes all in. You know, certainly there are some scenes, even in the trailer, which you're thinking, wow, that's that's impressive. It does not look like her at all. Yeah, they love it when people go full prosthetics, yeah. Right, whereas Andrew Garfield, they've just given him a wig and uh, drawn on some wrinkles. So Yeah, made him look a bit tired, yeah. What I, what I dislike about this is exactly as you say, I know what this is about because they told me over the space of, of two and a bit minutes... And th- yeah, even if I didn't know these people already and the story of them already, I are, I would have learned it all based on the trailer. And whilst I appreciate people will say, oh, it's a true story, you know, similarly to uh, I, Tonya, the very good ice skating movie um, with yeah. Margot Robbie from a few years ago. Yeah. People knew that story. Well, people in the 90s knew that story, but not everybody does. <laughs> and I believe that's what people who yeah. make trailers forget is that okay maybe they know the story and because they are consumed by it they're making a trailer for it yeah and they slap the words true story at the start but actually only a proportion a small proportion of people unless it's something like 9-11 will only will know it's a true story yeah so i don't think you need to tell everybody what happens in the space of two minutes you can just tease it that's the whole point but even if i already know everything i also don't want to be shown how they're going to tell me everything i don't want exactly. to see how i'm going to experience those moments i'd rather go in not knowing the experience than not knowing the story which is why i'm usually pretty okay with a spoiler i'm less okay with uh, the actual experience in advance which is what a lot of trailers are Okay, well, that brings us to the end of Seesaw Parade for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to send a review of anything you've finished, TV show, uh, a movie, or anything that you've been yeah, streaming for the a, last couple recipe. of years. A, a, we haven't had a recipe in a while. Uh, that is very true. Send it to us, seesawparade at gmail.com. James, thank you very much for your time. No, thank you. Uh, it has been a pleasure as always, and I will see you tomorrow i'll see you tomorrow yeah yeah and um everybody who's listening sorry won't see you but maybe well i would, I would like to we'll take a nice picture and put it on on put, put it on twitter you can like it we might we might take a nice picture okay. maybe it'll just be a picture of my cat <laughs> okay me and the cat okay bye james <laughs> see you later bye